If you are new around here, we are preaching through the book of John. We often like to preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. We've been in John for some time now. And uh, over this fall, all fall, we've been in John 13 through 17. And it's these amazing chapters of Scripture. Um, literally the night before Jesus is betrayed and crucified. And it's some of the most important things he wants to communicate to his followers and to us right before he goes to the cross. So, but right up till Christmas next weekend, we're going to finish up John chapter 17. And then in the new year, we're going to dive into some new content. And uh, uh, we're excited about that. And then we're going to save the last couple chapters of John and finish it up in the weeks right leading up to Easter. So to get us where we're heading here today, um, let me just uh, ask you, how many of you are like, you love this season? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and how many of you like to like cozy up around a fire on the couch with a nice coffee cup? Yeah, me too. And uh, I thought in order to do that well this season, I thought I'd, it'd be great to have a new coffee cup mug with something on it. And uh, anybody have a mug with maybe a Bible verse on it? Favorite Bible verse? Yeah, a few of you. Um, and so I thought I'd do a little bit of search and see what we could find for a coffee cup verse. And I went on a uh, unnamed internet store to see what we could find, and I found a few. And so I thought we'd look at a few of those and see if, if they're what I wanted to cozy up with by the fire. Um, here, here is one up there. I can do all things through Christ. That's a great verse. Um, great. Or I saw this one over here. Faith can move mountains. That's a good one. Um, in fact, I'm thinking that the one who put that up there for 19 bucks thought faith could move bank accounts because I know what kind of margin is in those. <laughs> so it was, I was doing a little run through yesterday with the staff. And uh, when I take a week or two off from speaking, I can never talk quite right the first time. So I said, faith can move muffins. And they made fun of me. Sometimes I feel like that's about my level of faith. But anyway, uh, how about this? Uh, may he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. Yes, please. Can anybody like, I like that mug. Um, here's, here's a favorite one, man. This is a great verse. Uh, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give, plans to give you hope and a future. It's a great Bible verse. Uh, I love that Bible verse. It's actually... Um, there was a season in my life where that was like somebody gave it to me on a card, and that was really helpful for me, um, really helped me through a hard time. Um, here's one. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. That's a good one, isn't it? Comforting. And, uh, ooh, here's a strong one. All these things, we are more than conquerors. Anybody like that one? All right, coffee cup verses. Now, here's the thing. I went through all these coffee cup verses, and I didn't find the verse I wanted for my coffee cup. And I'm like, well, I need a coffee cup to, to, to show everybody and to cuddle, you know, to, to, to drink coffee around the fire. And uh, I just couldn't find the one I wanted. And so I called my friend Joel at Merge to Media, and I'm like, Joel, I know I'm late in the game, and I can't, it's Friday, and, you know, I need something by tomorrow. Um, do you have any stickers? Maybe you could print me a sticker I could just stick on a coffee cup. And he's like, I can do mugs. I'm like, really? Yeah, he said, yeah, 
what do you want? So I have my new coffee cup mug right here. And I'm just not going to show it to you yet. It's just going to sit here for a minute now. <laughs> now, here's what I've observed about coffee cup verses like these. They are, um, I mean, these are wonderful verses of Scripture. They're very comforting. But here's the problem with coffee cup verses in our faith walk sometimes. Sometimes we rip coffee cup verses out of their immediate context. And then sometimes they're, uh, have you noticed how most of the coffee cup verses are happy verses? Yeah, they're, uh, they're feelings like, and, and they oftentimes set expectations. And for some people that have sort of a devotional coffee cup verse, I needed an illustration to hold up, and I found this one in the sink strainer. I don't know whose it is. It says world's best worship leader. Uh, in our office, I thought I'd better take that, steal it in order to help, you know, disciple our staff, keep them humble, all that. But the problem with coffee cup verses and setting our expectation of what Christian life should be, I mean, we could just buy all six of these. There wouldn't be that much money. And just like you could meditate on one of those each day, and then Sunday we'll give you a, a free little cardboard cup out there for your coffee. And here's the issue is when you base what your life off coffee cup verses and set your expectations of what the Christian life should be. Kind of like Christmas songs, if you noticed, most of them are kind of happy, joyous. And it's great because in this season, we're celebrating the joy of the first advent of Jesus. And yet for, I know for many, this season feels like a season of hurt and a season of loss. And that's just the reality for many people. And when we, when we place our, our expectations in these kind of coffee cup verses for our lives, what happens is when that becomes the expectation of our experience and what our experience as a follower of Jesus should be, we set ourselves up for disappointment and disillusionment because life doesn't always work that way, right? Your plans don't always succeed exactly the way, although that's a wonderful prayer and sentiment. It doesn't always go that way. And what happens for so many people is there's this cycle of disappointment that leads to this disillusionment. Like, God, I thought that was what faith was supposed to be like. But I look at my life and things aren't going that way. And for so many, this leads them to a place of doubt, actually. God, are you there? God, do you care? And for so many, their journey is this leads to a period of time where they just sort of detach their hearts from God. Some, they walk away. They wonder, like, what did I do wrong? And so in this season, this Advent season, we anticipate and celebrate on the other side of history now, we celebrate the arrival, the birth of Messiah. And, and here's what I've observed as I go back and read the, the, uh, the announcement of Messiah. The angels announce in Luke, it's beautiful, they appear to the shepherds and the angel announces, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. You see, the people had this. This was amazing news. They had incredible expectation. For hundreds of years, the prophets had been talking about, uh, the prophets had prophesied the arrival of Messiah. They'd been expecting Messiah. They had a bunch of coffee cup verses 
I think they were like parchment verses, but you get the point. Coffee cup verses that, that were all about the, the amazing good things that would happen when Messiah arrived. And they, for hundreds of years now, had been under the oppressive rule of one empire after another. And since about 60 BC, they've been under the thumb of Rome from when Pompey came through and this whole region. They've been under the thumb of Rome and they had an expectation that Messiah would come and would liberate them and, and free them and bring them back 900 years to the time of Solomon when they were a superpower status in the region. That was their expectation. That was their hope. Those were the coffee cup verses they grew up with around the fire. And here's the thing is, Jesus came. And what, what we understand is that God had a bigger picture. God had a different agenda in Jesus' first advent when he first came to this earth. In fact, in Matthew, the angel tells Joseph that you will give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, see, for somebody in the first century, this wasn't real high on their priority list because they had a whole giant temple and a whole sacrificial system where they could go and they could offer a lamb or some doves and they could walk away and go, I'm good with God for a while. My sins are covered. And yet God had an agenda to offer a final sacrifice, but it was different than their expectations. It was different. They were content with the law's version of dealing with sin, but Jesus had come to bring a new covenant a new covenant in his blood. Jesus had a deeper agenda, a bigger picture purpose than just right here and now. A bigger picture than restoring the political power of the nation. He had come to offer a final sacrifice and atonement for sin. He had come to restore us to relationship with God the Father. He had come to draw every tribe and tongue and nation into his family to initiate a kingdom that was not yet of this world, as we'll see in a couple chapters in John. And here's what I think when it applies to us. Like the people in Jesus' time, I think so many times we want Jesus to come and to fulfill all of our coffee cup verses. And really to make our lives easier and more smooth now. But the problem is, <laughs> with living your life and basing your expectations on that, is the rest of the scripture and Jesus' other words that we read. And so in John chapters 13 through 17, this, this final couple chapters that Jesus brings before the cross, he brings them, it's meant to bring encouragement to his disciples, to reset their understanding of what the time between the first advent of, of Jesus and his second advent will look like and to prepare us for the mission that we have in this world, to give us some context around our coffee cup verses that actually match the reality of life in a broken world. So if you have your Bibles, you want to follow along, we're going to dive back in in John chapter 16, where Jason left off last week. And just to remind you to set the context for the conversation here, Jesus is, is actually resetting some of their expectations because they've been following him and they had an idea of what that would look like. And Jesus is actually going to the cross and he keeps telling them that, but they don't get it. They, they, they have a hard time wrapping their minds around it because of all the expectations they have of what Messiah 
will look like. And so he tells them this at the very beginning of the chapter in verse 1. He says, all this I've told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue, which is not just their religious circle, kind of like getting kicked out of church. This was their whole social circle of the town, the village that they grew up in. Big deal. They'll put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. That's not real encouraging, Jesus. I don't really want to print that on a coffee cup. But you know, you want to know when this happens. It's just a short time later. In fact, you remember the Apostle Paul, when we first meet him in the book of Acts, he's breathing out murderous threats. He's presiding over the, uh, the first martyr's death, Stephen, just a few years after the resurrection. And he thinks he's doing God a service. He thinks he's doing God a favor by oppressing and arresting Christians at this point. And so, flash forward to verse 16, Jesus says this. Jesus went on to say, in a little while, you will see me no more, and then after a little while, you will see me. And they're like, what, Jesus? Like, anybody ever played peekaboo with your kids? Like, Like, what are you saying here, Jesus? At this, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, because I'm going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's trying to say. They're just like over here talking like amongst themselves, like scratching their heads, trying to figure this out. Verse 19, it says, Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me? Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. That doesn't sound good, Jesus. You're telling us we're going to be weeping while while the bad guys are rejoicing? Jesus is like, just wait. Just wait. It doesn't end there. He says, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Now, I thought we should probably check in with the ladies on that one. Uh, Actually, I always, I get in trouble all the time because I I tease my wife because apparently there's some sort of hormone that goes through after a baby's born and it sort of like takes the edge off the trauma. So I always tell my wife, man, you had that and I don't, I'm still traumatized and that doesn't go over very well, as you can imagine. (laughs) So uh, with you, he says, now is your time of grief. Like literally now, we're going to go out of here. Now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. No one will take away your joy. Jesus says, you're not going to see me. You're gonna, th- this is going to be the hardest thing you've ever gone through, but then you're going to see me, and no one will take away your joy. See, they're before the resurrection, and he knows what's coming, and he knows how difficult this is going to be, but then he knows that after they see what the thing they've given their lives to, Jesus um, die on a cross, the movement, they thought all their hopes gone, Jesus will rise from the dead. And he will, he will appear to them as well as to 500 others at one time, and this will revolutionize their life. And indeed, nothing will take away their joy. 
In fact, it was the joy of seeing Jesus. It was the conviction and the just wonder and amazement that they saw their Savior crucified, and then they, they had breakfast with him on the beach that propelled them to the ends of the earth. You know, it's not the fact that there was an obscure rabbi in a little corner of the Roman Empire who was crucified on a Roman cross. That's why we're here 2,000 years later, celebrating and worshiping. That's not why. Lots of people were, were killed on Roman crosses. Multitudes. If Jesus had never raised from, risen from the dead, the chances are you, you would have never heard his name. But Jesus rose from the dead. He appeared, and nobody could take away their joy to the extent that they poured out into every corner of the Roman Empire telling people, he died and he's risen and he is Messiah, and you can have relationship with God through him. And people put their faith and trust. And for thousands of years, people have been experiencing the risen Lord, as I have, and as I know many, many of you have in your life through the power of his Holy Spirit. That's why we're here 2,000 years later. It transformed the world. It revolutionized the world. That's why we're here. In verse 23, he says, In that day you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Now, I want to remind you, like we said a few weeks ago when we uh, saw this in chapter uh, 15, I believe, uh, that Jesus, um, when he says, in my name, this isn't like just a little tag on to any prayer you want for whatever like new shiny toy you want. You know, new Mercedes, Ferrari, Jesus' name. Looking out into your garage. It didn't transform. That, that old, you know, Honda didn't transform into the Ferrari that you wanted. This, this isn't that, that's not the idea here is you just get anything you want. The idea here in your name is in his authority, in his power, in his purpose, in his will. So Jesus clarifies that in some of the other scriptures in John where he says, according to my will, in my name. It means the purposes that God has. See, Jesus promised, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so when you begin to pray prayers according to his purpose and according to, to the agenda that he has of reaching people all over this world and drawing hearts to him, all of a sudden, you begin to see your prayers answered powerfully in powerful ways. And you bring him your needs, you bring him your wants. In fact, Jesus says in the Sermon on the, on the Mount that your father knows your needs before you even ask him, but he still wants you to ask. He goes on in verse 23. Um, no, verse 25 we're in. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my father. Like He says, I've been using figures of speech, which I know some of you, you just can't get it. You don't understand it. And part of that is on, they're on this side of the resurrection, the other side of the resurrection. They don't understand yet. They can't wrap their minds around it with the expectation they had of what Messiah would come and what Messiah would accomplish. And he says, uh, uh, you're, you're just not going to get it. The other thing is the Holy Spirit hasn't come yet. And last week, Jason talked about this, how Jesus promises. In fact, he says this thing that's so hard for us to wrap our minds around. He, and I'm sure it was really hard for them to wrap their minds around. He says, it's better for you that I go away. It, 
because I will send the Holy Spirit, the advocate to you. And it says the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. And so there's this powerful thing promised. And, and I believe so many of us just barely really access and, and really understand and come to grips and walk with the Holy Spirit on a level that, that is available to us. But, but here's the idea behind this is as, as you, Jesus says, I'm going to speak plainly to you that you have a God who wants to communicate to you. And so as you read his scripture, as you read the scriptures, his word, man, one of the best things you can do is to say, speak to me, Lord. Would you speak to me through this? Because one of the things the Holy Spirit does is he illuminates the scriptures to us and, and st stuff that maybe you read before and it's just like, I don't get this. All of a sudden, yeah, um, he brings the meaning alive to you and you're like, wow. If you've never had that experience, man, begin to pray before you read the scriptures and say, Holy Spirit, would you show me, would you speak to me through your word? And begin to listen to his voice. We have a value around here. Biblically serious, responsive to the Holy Spirit. And that means that we take the scriptures seriously, as you know, if you've been coming for, for any period of time here. And we also take very seriously listening to the voice and the prompting of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because here's what I believe. When, when followers of Jesus go out and are actually attentive to the Holy Spirit on a day-in, day-in, day-out basis in their lives... Here's what happens. Um, he's going he's gonna to whisper things into your ear. We call this the still, small voice of God. And sometimes you just know God is leading you. He's prompting you. And it's things according to his will and his purpose. So maybe it's a coworker at work that, that you've been praying for. And all of a sudden, an opportunity comes to share Jesus, to speak up. Um, maybe it's, a, it's somebody that he brings into your life that's going through a hard situation. And you feel this like thing from God saying, pray for them. And you say, can I pray for you? And then you pray for him right then and there. Not just, I mean, not just like, okay, I'll pray for you. And then you go and you forget. And then later, after the fact, you throw up a quick prayer because you feel guilty. And you're like, God, you're outside of space and time. So retroactive. Um, do, do any of you do that or only me? Okay, a couple of you. The rest of you are way more spiritual than me. Okay. But actually to say, I'm going to pray. Let's pray. Why? Because I believe we serve a God who's alive, who's active, who's present, who wants to move in our situation. And to pray for him and see God move in powerful ways. To ask him. To listen to his voice. He wants to speak to us. And we see he's, one of the main things that Jesus came to do, this is a huge theme in the book of John, is make the Father plain. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know God? The best thing you can do is, is get to know the person of Jesus because he's come to reveal the invisible God to us, the heart and the character of God. Get to know Jesus in Scripture. Get to know your Savior. Ask him to speak to you through his word. Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you. He goes on in verse 26. He says, in that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. So he says, I'm here to make the Father plain. I'm going to speak plainly to you about the Father. I, I want you to know my Father. And then he says, hey, you're going to ask. See, what brings us into relationship with the Father? Jesus. 
Why? Because you've believed and you've loved me. And, and once you're in relationship with God, he says, you, you can ask. You have a special relationship. Have you ever noticed how your kids are not, like, shy to ask you for basically anything? <laughs> yeah. I remember one of the cutest things I remember. Uh, your kids just ask you for all kinds of stuff, right? I remember we'd go up to the Mesa, and, and uh, my, my little girl, when she was little, she, she, it was the sweetest, cutest thing. We have it on video. She's like, turn the fire on, Dad. Ah, uh, <laughs> so I'd light a fire, right? But I don't care what it is. I mean, your kids, you go to somebody else's house, it's a stranger, and they're all shy, and they won't ask them for anything. But you, oh, no, I'm going to ask you, right? Dad, I need more tablet time. Dad, I need a new Xbox. Dad, I need whatever, ice cream. They ask, don't they? And you know what? As annoying as that can be sometimes, because they don't stop either, do they? <laughs> what does it show? Relationship. It shows they have a confidence around you that comes from knowing that they are securely loved. They know they can just come and ask. That you love them. That, that their relationship with you is secure. And that's why I think the, our prayer life, it, it really reflects a lot about our relationship with our Father. Did you, do you, what does your prayer life look like? Do you actually bring your needs to your Father because you know he cares for you even though he already knows your needs? He wants that relationship with you like Jesus says. Do you, do you, bring, your, do you bring your needs to him? Do you ask him to, to move in your life? See, we don't get to control the way God answers our prayers, but he always wants us to ask. See, a heart comes to God, our good father, and I know even like talking about God the Father, some for some is hard because your earthly father was not a very good representation of your heavenly father, but this is not your earthly father. This is your perfect, loving, heavenly father. Do you ask? He wants you to ask. That's why I'm like, I'm always going to come and ask God to do the, the miracle. I don't get to control, and you know, I don't get to control and manipulate. But I'm always going to ask him to move in power and come in this situation. And I'm going to come humbly and ask with my requests. Understanding that, that he, he is bigger than me and he is infinite and I'm finite and he can see the future and I can't and I don't understand his purposes many times. Sometimes I get to understand. Sometimes he says no. And I get to understand that in this world, oh, that's what that was all about. And other times I don't get to get that insight in this life. But I come to him because I know he cares for me. See, and I love it. He says, hey, I'm, Jesus is like, I'm not just saying that I'll ask. It's not like, hey, you'll ask me for something, and then I'll come around the corner. Hey, uh, go ask Dad if, if, if I can do this, because I'm in trouble with Dad right now. That's not the whole thing. Jesus is like, you have relationship with your Father, and so you can come right into his presence boldly. He wants you to come. You have relationship with him. 
And, and this is a huge point because there, you, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you don't need a mediator to come to God. I mean, Christ is your mediator. He covered your sin on your behalf, and yet you can come boldly before the throne of God with your requests because he's, been, you've been, he's brought you into relationship with him. And this is important for some. You, you maybe grew up in a tradition that thought you needed to, you know, go through a saint or, or go through Mary or, or, or something. And the truth is, you come boldly to the Father. You don't need some other super hyper-spiritual experience or psychedelics or some sort of special chant or meditation. You, you have relationship with the Father. And he invites you into that relationship. He loves you. He cares for you. And and why is that? How is that? He says, because you responded, you trust me. You believed in me and you love me. It's his grace. He offers you the free gift of salvation and you respond and say, yes, not because of anything you did. Not because of anything you did to earn it, but simply because of his grace and his love for you. There's a wonderful um, account in the scriptures, the thief on the cross. Some of you remember, you know, the story as Jesus was dying on the cross and there was a a thief crucified on either side of him. And uh, I love this this story. I got to share it with my my grandfather and, um, and with him pray to receive Jesus about a week before he died. But the amazing thing about the story is that the thief on the cross, what did the dude do? Nothing. He just responded to Jesus and, and recognized him and trusted him. He said, Lord, remember me. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And it's this beautiful picture. And I heard this, uh, this illustration um, from, from another pastor. I thought it was really, really fun. Um, not very theologically accurate, but very fun. That, you know, the thief on the cross dies and shows up at the gates of heaven and an angel meets him. I don't think this is how it really works. Um, but an angel meet, meets him and says, I, well, why should I let you in? And uh, he's like, oh, I, I don't really know. Um, and the angel's like, well, I'm going to have to have to go talk to my supervisor and comes back. And uh, he's like, well, uh, so what's your story? Why should I let you in? Does a little quiz. Um, well, uh, can you explain to me the doctrine of justification by faith, please? And the guy's like, uh, not really. So why should I let you in? Well, the guy on the cross next to me said I could come. Do you see how part, I mean, I know that's trite. The guy on the cross next to me said I could come. That's at the heart of grace. It's not anything you've done. You haven't earned it. You didn't tip the scales in your favor by finally doing enough or being faithful enough. You just said, I trust you. I love you. Can I come? And he said, yes. It's grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself, lest anyone should boast. It's him. It's his love for you. And see, this is the bigger agenda. This is the deeper agenda. This is the thing that Jesus was here to accomplish, that he would draw for himself a people from every tongue and every tribe and every nation. That when, you, when we get to the throne of God, billions upon billions of people will be worshiping the Lamb, and most of them won't look like you or sound like you. 
And Jesus loves us each and has invited us in. And the Father loves you and he loves me. And it's by his grace, by his grace, unmerited favor. And this is the deeper agenda. This is at the heart of what Jesus came to do when he came to give his life. And as we sit in this time between the first advent and the second advent, when he came onto this earth and when he's going to return and restore all things, we have a hope that's in him. And this is the bigger picture. And this is the mission he's called us in, is to continue to go into this world and, and participate with him as hearts are drawn to him. That's, that's the mission. And yeah, you know you have a job and pay the bills and all of that, and that's all, you know, there's, there's do everything you do to the glory of God. But the big mission is the fact that he is redeeming this world unto himself. And he's invited you to participate in that. But it doesn't always match our expectations, does it? A lot of times we, like, we, we want him to come and fulfill all of our coffee cup hopes and dreams. Oftentimes our prayers aren't about his purposes and his plan. And God, where would you send me? How would you have me reach out? They're all about, God, I, how can I make my life a little better? And I'm not saying don't bring your needs to him. No, absolutely. He actually instructs you to, right? But the question is, when you look at your prayer life, when you look at um, the things that are most on your heart, are they his purposes? Are they the bigger picture things that he's about in this world? Because if you want to start experiencing that complete joy, if you want to start experiencing the power and the wonder and the amazement of seeing him show up in powerful ways in your life, once you get on his agenda, start praying big prayers that he would use you in this world to reach people. All right, let's close out this section. Verse 28, he says this, I came from the Father and entered the world, and now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. And then Jesus' disciples said, now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things, that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. They're like, all right, we got this. Check it off. I think uh, I scratched some of them were still scratching their heads. And I love it. And I think there's so much humor in this because Jesus says, do you, do you now believe? <laughs> if you just read all of the scripture with a really serious, like, sounding voice, maybe it was like, you know, pastor, or priest you grew up with, very sound, serious. No, Jesus, the rabbis were known for being the ones with the greatest humor in the culture. And I think you, you got to read through scripture and see a God that has great humor, <laughs> who created humor. He's like, oh, really? Do you now believe? And then I think he gets really serious. Jesus replied, a time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will all be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, and yet I'm not alone, for my Father is with me. He says, I know you guys are weak. I know you guys are human. I know you're broken. You're scared. And, and just hours after this, uh, very shortly, they will abandon him. They will flee. He'll be arrested, and they'll all go running. They'll be huddled up scared until they, he like literally goes through a door <laughs> after the resurrection and appears to them. And man, that moment changes everything. 
But he says, I know you're weak, and yet I still love you, and I'm still going to use you to change the world. Peter, I know you've denied me three times, but boy, oh boy, you just wait. I'm going to use you in powerful ways. Then, verse 33, don't put it up yet. We get to the verse. Good thing you can't read that fast. To the coffee cup verse that I wanted to print. And so, we had this uh, coffee cup verse printed. And, and here's how it goes. Because Jesus is, is comforting his disciples. He's helping them, give them hope and encouragement. So when they sit around the fire, they can think about these words and feel warm and fuzzy inside. And so he says, I've told you these things that you might have peace. Anybody want some more peace in your life? You can raise your hand in church. I won't call on you. <laughs> yeah. I've told you these things. I've given you a heads up on all these things so that you might have peace. You're about ready to abandon me. I still love you. Um, I've told you these things so that you might have peace. You're going to be scared. You're going to be terrified. All your hopes and dreams from following me the last three years and giving everything, leaving careers and security to follow me, guess what? They're going to be dashed, but I've told you you're going to see me again so that you have hope. I've told you these things that you might have peace, but I also wanted to give you a heads up because in between the first and second advent, when the first when I came, to initiate my purposes on this, my redemptive purposes on this earth. And when I return, um, he goes on, he says, uh, in this life, you will have trouble. Just want to give you a heads up. Just because I died and I conquered sin and I conquered the grave and the enemy's been defeated... It stands judged. He's condemned, just awaiting the final judgment. In spite of that, in this world, you will have trouble. You still live in a fallen, broken world. And it's not always going to be easy. Remember all that stuff I told you about the synagogue, all that? In this world, you will have trouble. But it doesn't stop there, because he doesn't just give you these verses to depress you. Because here's what usually happens when you get to this. See, for so many, you're like, get me back to the other coffee cup verses, quick. And it depends whether you're like, you know, the glass half full, the glass half empty kind of person. And you know who you are in the room, right? Some of you are like optimists. You're like, "Uh, well, okay, get back to those positive messages. Conquerors, more than conquerors. Others of you, you're just like Eeyore. And I got to admit, sometimes I feel like I'm more on this side, right? Where it's like, all right, life's going to be hard just the way it's going to be. Just love and serve Jesus. What else am I going to do? Anybody? Are you out there too? Yeah. He didn't give you these verses to depress you. They're to encourage you, and it doesn't stop there. And depending on your personality, your, your personality is either to like ignore all the not happy stuff and just like happy feely versus let's, let's, let's just focus on all that stuff. Happy talk, happy talk. La, 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 la. 
Or you're, or you're just going to go into depression. And you're going to be very down. And he gives you a heads up because there is a reality of living in a broken world. And if your expectations are set on all the coffee cup verses that it's supposed to be easy, it's supposed to be light, and all your plans are going to succeed, and all of these things, and every, like, as soon as life doesn't go that way, you're going to find yourself spiraling into depression. And so he gives you a heads up, but he doesn't want you to stay in a place of depression because there's hope. He goes on, he says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. Take heart. I have overcome the world. See, this is so important. He never promises that everything's going to be easy and rosy in this life, but he promises that he's overcome the enemy. He's overcome death, that there's a bigger picture. And guess what? God's on the winning team, and you're on the winning team if you're his follower. And and because of that, you can have peace in the middle of what you're going through. See, this brings some context to some of these other coffee cup verses that sometimes we just rip out of context. And happy, like, more than conquerors. Look at that 401k. More than conquerors. Woo! Uh, Paul, here's how that kind of whole passage went. Here's the context. In in Romans 8, a couple of our favorite coffee cup verses. Um, He says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Yeah, life is hard right now. And and Paul's writing, he's been shipwrecked for Jesus. He's been like, they've tried to kill him and leave him for dead, stoning him multiple times. He's been beaten. He's been in jail for a whole lot of time in a dark dungeon. And he says, our present sufferings are not worth, but it's worth it. (laughs) He says, you won't believe what's in store. And man, God gave Paul some incredible revelation of what was coming. I think because of the amount that God knew he was going to have to go through. He says, and this is where he gets, then he explains that a little. And he says, and we know in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and and who have been called according to his purpose. Coffee cup. In the midst of the pain of life, guess what? You can hang on to hope because you know God is working for the good of those who love him. Sometimes you understand how that all works out. Sometimes you don't in this life. But you can trust and know that he's working for your good. He goes on. The the real hope, the bigger picture is this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? I don't want any of those things printed on a coffee cup, personally. But he says, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In this life, you will have trouble. In all these things. In spite of the fact that we live in a broken world that Paul also describes in this passage as groaning and waiting. Like we know creation is still broken. There's broken people. Lives are broken. But guess what? He is redeeming and he will come again. He goes on, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yeah, amen. 
Nothing can separate us. This is the bigger picture. Not that that life always is going to match the coffee cup verses, but that even in spite of the times when it doesn't, in spite of the times when there's loss, when there's pain, when there's hurt, Jesus has overcome the enemy. I'm going to invite Stephen back up. We're going to close with a song here in just a moment about our overcoming Savior, the lion and the lamb, the one who has conquered, the hope that we have that nothing can stop our God. But before we get there, I just want to bring this this verse back up. In this world, I've told you these things that you might have peace. I've told you these things. I'm going to give you a heads up. You know, um, uh, uh, last week, uh, some of you know, um, last week my son, we were in Denver, and my son had a, a surgery on his back. And uh, um, thank you all for your prayers and support. Many of you are praying for us. I appreciate, really grateful for that. And it went great. He's doing great. He's making a great recovery. In the midst of that, the doctor told us ahead of time, he's like, the worst, the absolute worst part is uh, because they're going through the side for this one. Uh, he's like, they, they, they're going to put a chest tube in that's going to have to stay there for a couple of days. It's a drain. And it's, it's really unpleasant, uncomfortable. Just giving you a heads up. And you know what? It was. He hated it. It caused a lot of pain. It was really kind of hard for parents to watch, right? But you know what? We had a heads up that it was coming. And all the doctor and all the nurses are like, yeah, I know. That's like the hardest part. Hang in there. And guess what? Night and day, man. They took that thing out. It was like night and day. He just popped back. We had a heads up that it was coming, so it wasn't a surprise. And in the same way, Jesus says, hey, I've told you these things so you might have peace. That when life is hard, you don't have to wonder, is God abandoning me? Does God care? No. I told you it's going to be hard sometimes. It's not always going to go your way. But even in the midst of that, even in the fact that you will have trouble in this world, take heart. I've overcome the world. Take heart. You're on the winning team. And you know, I've traveled all over this world doing missions work um, before I was a pastor and, and since. I've been on the border of Myanmar and Thailand worshiping with believers on the, literally the other side of the world in a communist country where, where we had a spy with us. <laughs> and, and he got to hear the gospel. I was in Hungary as a child before the Iron Curtain fell. And we were in this house church, the basement of this house that was padded and opened up so they could meet in private. And this church just grew and grew to where they had to knock out all the walls and they couldn't even hide it anymore. This was right before the Iron Curtain fell. (laughs) And the gospel goes forward. Jesus said, I'll build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. That when you're on mission with him, when you're focused on his bigger purposes and plans in your life, you can rejoice. Because even though life isn't always easy, the thing he promised, the fact that you're here 2,000 years later on a continent nobody would ever heard of, worshiping Jesus, along with about a third of the planet this weekend, is a testimony to the fact that what he said is true. I have overcome this world. 
And you know what that means? All the promises he gives you for eternity, for your future, and your hope, you can hang your hat on him. He's coming back. And you have an eternity, if you've trusted in him, that's beyond anything you can imagine. So take heart. Take heart. Would you stand? As we begin to sing this song, I just want to ask you, maybe there's an area in your life right now where you've really been struggling and it's really been leading to some doubts in your heart. Why don't you just bring that as we sing this song before the Lord and say, okay, I'm going to take heart and I'm going to trust that you have overcome the world. Take heart. Jesus didn't share these chapters in the book of John so that his disciples would be depressed. He shared them so they would take heart on the mission that he'd given them in this world. And they did. And it changed the world. What does he want to do through your life? Take heart. Press on. You know, as we go into this song, for some of you, you've not actually taken the first step with Jesus, which is to embrace the work that he's done, the bigger picture. He came to bring you into relationship with him. And you know the great thing here today is you can receive that. It is a free gift. So let's just, before we sing, let's just bow our heads, close our eyes. Lord, if that's you in the room, I just want to encourage you to, you can pray a simple prayer like this after me. Lord Jesus, I need you. Forgive my sins. Bring me into relationship with God. I receive your free gift of salvation in life. I want to turn from my sins and follow you. I believe you're the son of God that you died and rose again. Would you transform my life? If you prayed that prayer genuinely in your heart, he's brought you into his family. Let's sing this song.